Well, good morning. Have you ever um, told yourself um, that you could, you could accomplish a project, you could, you could do a task, you could, you could do something um, that was maybe in the distant future? Have you ever sat down and thought, I'll get around to that. There's, I can change the brakes on my car. I can change the oil in the Jeep. Have you ever told yourself you could do something and then, and then the week came or the day came to do the project and you felt like you were in over your head? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, That happened to me uh, this week, uh, preparing to preach this sermon. So back in June, Pastor Jonathan and I were planning this stewardship series in support of our annual stewardship campaign. Last week we kicked it off, uh, looking at how God calls us to live one life of faith, how in every area of our lives, um, God wants us to, to honor God, um, to be all in as a disciple. We looked at how we fall short. Um, we don't measure up, but God keeps inviting us um, towards that true north of honoring God with all of our being. And we're looking at generosity in particular as we think about our annual stewardship campaign, as we make commitments October 20th and 21st. And so back in June, Pastor Jonathan and I were developing this four-week sermon series that will take us to Commitment Weekend, and we came up with these themes. One life, one body, one faith, one mission. And then we looked at the lectionary texts, our, our, our scripture reading, and we decided to stick with the lectionary. Those are the texts that were given on a three-year cycle. And I remember Jonathan specifically said, well, you have to preach, you know, one life and one body, do those texts work? And, and I looked at my computer and I look at the, uh, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. Uh, come Monday of this week, and I'm, well, what is that? What is that gospel for this week? Oh, divorce, great. Um, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? So that's the task at hand, folks. Uh, stewardship, generosity, abundant life, right? That we're called to live into. One body, the church, a message about Christian unity about us coming together, and yet we have this text about divorce. And um, I'm of the belief that when we have a text uh, like the one we have today about divorce, that, um, that it should be preached on, it should be preached about. Because the temptation that many preachers feel when these sorts of passages come up is to skip over them a little bit and to jump right into that nice part about the little children let the little children come to me. I asked Pastor Tom last night, he was here, have you ever felt tempted to do that? And he said, no, I haven't. <laughs> Just like this little guy. Um, uh, no, no, I haven't. So, so I want to dive into this. I want to provide some context for it because I am aware that divorce is something that um, affects all of us. Whether you have gone through a divorce yourself, you're going through a divorce you're a child of parents who have been divorced, or you have a friend or a family member. We are all connected to divorce. And so I think it is important for us to unpack this, to look at these words of Jesus. Um, we're also familiar with how divorce and passages about divorce can be used to pile guilt and shame on people. And I'm aware that many of you might have already preached a sermon in your mind when this gospel was read. So journey with me. Here in Mark chapter 10, we find Jesus. 
set the context, set the scene. This continues the last few weeks of our teachings, and we've heard a lot about children, and we've heard Jesus teaching his disciples about the ethic and the value that they are to embrace as they do ministry, right? Week one, they were arguing about who's the greatest among them, and Jesus says, you're missing the point. It's not about who's great. Be a servant. Um, the, the, the next week, they, they, they have to do with, um, um, what do they have to do with? See, this is when you try to do too much in a sermon. Jesus had to correct them nonetheless, okay? Moment of humility, I forgot. I could look back here. Um, oh, the other people, right? Doing the good things in Jesus' name, and they're all insider, and those are the outsider, and Jesus corrects them and says, if they're not against us, they're for us, focus. I preached that sermon. How do I not remember that? Focus. See, one week to the next. Focus on your own sin, not the sins of other people, right? That brings us to today. And Jesus is teaching. This is what it says. Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. Jesus left the region, went to a new region. Crowds gathered around him. Jesus begins teaching, as was his custom, and Pharisees came up. So a group of people come up through the crowd, and we're told here that they came in order to test him. Important. They're not coming with an honest question that they want an honest answer to. They're not coming open to receiving what Jesus is going to offer. They're coming to try to trap him and test him, and they've done this many other times in the Gospel of Mark already. So there's Jesus teaching about something, the birds of the air and the flowers in the field, something. And here comes this group, um, Jesus, we'll get them this time. Moses said it was okay for a man to issue a certificate of dismissal of di- or, or um, of divorce. Is, is this true? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus points them to Moses. Well, what did Moses say to you? And they say, well, Moses said it was okay. And Jesus, Jesus says that commandment was given because of the hardness of your heart. Later, the disciples are confused by this, and he reinforces his point. So what is going on here? Let's try to understand this contextually, right? When we think about divorce, we can't help but to think about it through a 21st century lens. And that's how we think about marriage, through two people who both agree to join their life together for mutual love and support and companionship. Love is the center of of a marriage in our society and in our culture and the commitment those two people make to one another. But divorce and marriage at the time of Jesus, there were some similarities, but there were some Um, differences. When Jesus references the law of Moses, what did Moses tell you? Um, He's he's conjuring up the, the understanding and the images of what they actually meant by divorce during this time. It wasn't a process by which two parties met with an attorney, agreed on mutual allocation of assets, went on their way. There was none of that. This is what he's referring to. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Laws concerning divorce. When a man takes a wife and marries her, which, first of all, doesn't sound like when two people, come, when a man and wife come together and agree to spend their life, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then 
she finds no favor in his eyes if he doesn't like her because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of the house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, then the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and sends her out of his house, well then if she tries to go back to the first husband, that's a no-no. Okay? For that is a defilement, an abomination before the Lord, Deuteronomy 24 says, and you shall not bring sin upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. So we're led to believe here that divorce was solely up to the man, right? If the man finds fault in the woman, any indecency, he can issue a certificate of divorce, dismiss her from his household, which means he's no longer responsible for her well-being, which at the time women could not own property, they could not contribute economically, they were very much dependent on the men. The power was in the man's hands to issue a certificate of divorce. So Jesus says, well, what did Moses tell you? And they recite Deuteronomy 24. Moses said, it's okay if he finds indecency or wrong. Well, and if the second husband hates her, well, he can dismiss her too. She just can't go back to the first one. Sounds like the exchanging of property. It doesn't sound a whole lot like how we think of marriage today. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says that whole law in Deuteronomy 24, that was given to you because of the hardness of your heart. Because you lost the point. The point wasn't that this was property or someone in your house that you could dismiss or welcome in. The point of this was God, from the beginning of creation, has always designed for there to be companionship. God has always designed to bring people together for mutual support, for love, and for a great purpose. And so Jesus says that it was the hardness of your heart that you are tripped up in these whole teachings about divorce. The two have become one flesh. This is God's vision for humanity, that two would become one, right? God always grieves divorce. God grieves when people separate their lives from one another. But I'm also aware that divorces happen in our world for a number of of reasons. I am the child of divorced parents. And I can tell you about how a marriage can, can be a force for good in the world, because I can think back to memories of my mom and dad's relationship that were fruitful and beneficial. And I can tell you how that marriage also became toxic and how it was no longer good for the world. I understand that there are many reasons people get divorced. Adultery, abuse, neglect, years of fighting, it's messy. God grieves that because God always grieves when human lives are torn apart. God's vision is that we would always remain united in love and in purpose. But as Lutheran Christians, we are always bent toward God's unconditional love and grace in Jesus Christ. 
I am very familiar with how this passage can be used to Bible-thump people because it was used that way against me. My fourth week on the job here at Prince of Peace, back in 2013, I took a week off. I just started work here in this congregation. I was so excited to get to know you and and the community, but I had to take a week off because months before, I had agreed to travel to Denmark uh, to be a keynote speaker at a festival for, for hundreds of youth um, across the Lutheran Church in Denmark. I had traveled to Denmark a few years before, and I had met different uh, missionary groups there. I had learned what it was like um, to be a Christian in another culture, another country, and those folks had gotten in touch with me and had asked if I would be interested in coming to speak um, to a bunch of Lutheran youth in, a, in another country. I was contracted to give seven keynote addresses, one each day of the week, and my keynote addresses had to be 45 minutes to an hour long each, and I thought, they don't know what they're getting into. And, uh, and I set off for the task at hand. I was so excited. At the time, just weeks before, Becca gave birth to Brianna. We had this new family. I had a new call. I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and so excited to have this opportunity. I remember arriving at the camp, and when I arrived at the camp, Uh, I was met by the camp leadership who welcomed me, and I was given a translator to work with, Um, this young young woman who was going to kind of follow me around the camp um, every day and, and, and help me translate when needed. During my keynote addresses, she sat in the back of the room uh, with a contingent of older Danish citizens. Many of the young people spoke perfect English, um, but she needed to sit with them to translate what I was saying. And uh, I felt really bad for her because I, I speak really fast. And, and so she was in the back trying to like put it all together. Um, and things were going really well. Day one of the camp, my keynote went over just fine. And day two, it went over just fine. And day three, it went over just fine. And, and, and day four, it went over really, 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 really fine. And so after that keynote address, the camp leadership called me into the office with my translator, and and they were speaking through Danish, and they invited me to come back the following year. I wasn't even done with all seven of my keynotes, but they said, would you come back and prepare new material and, and be our speaker for next summer? And I thought, this is amazing, right? What an opportunity to be in another country and to share my faith. And so I agreed to, to come back. That was until the sixth night. On the sixth night, after my keynote address, that young woman who had been assigned my interpreter came up to me, sort of quivering, and I could tell that something was wrong. She said, you must come with me, Pastor Lorne, and we made our way back to the camp office, and in there was the leadership of the camp, and this one man in particular who was in charge looked furious. And he was speaking through Danish, and I could hardly understand, and and, and I could tell something was wrong, and we made our way out of the office, and I asked my translator, what just happened? And she said with tears in her eyes, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, um, but you're not invited back anymore. What? What went wrong? <laughs> what have I done? And she said, can we go talk? So we made our way to a picnic table, and she said, you know how on like the third night or something when 
when I opened up to you? Well, I, I'm so sorry. I, I had to tell them. And she went into the whole story. On the third night of the camp, she opened up to me about how she was just in love with this boy at the camp who didn't even recognize her, didn't know she was alive. And she came to me for some pastoral care and guidance, a listening ear, and I provided it. I remember sitting down that night at the camp and listening to her talk about this boy and how he didn't even notice she was alive and she thought she would never find love. And, and so I thought, okay, pastoral care tool belt, listen, listen, and then offer a story. And that's what I did. I offered her the story that third night of how my wife Becca and I met. And I told her all about my parents' divorce and how from a young age I was skeptical of dating, about how I had some walls up because I knew that marriage was a serious thing and I had seen it turn destructive. And so I was very careful about who I dated and how I dated. And I shared the story of how when I came home from Iraq, um, I wasn't looking to meet anyone, but I happened to meet Becca. And I told her the story of how on our fourth date at a little cafe in Columbus, Becca, with tears in her eyes, shared with me that she had recently gone through a horrible divorce. That Becca was previously married and was engaged in an abusive relationship. And I told her about how in that moment, I didn't care at all because I knew that I was falling in love with her. And I told her about how that woman that I married just gave birth to the most beautiful baby girl. And I told her that you never know the connections that God will bring about in your life. We, don't, we have to trust through this process. And I thought I did a great job of pastoral care. Well done. I had no idea that in her circle of Christians, in that particular Christian community, for a pastor to marry a divorced woman was considered an absolute abomination. And so she had been wrestling internally with whether or not to tell the camp leadership. She finally did because she found out they invited me back. And what if they found out? And so they invited me in to the office and they uninvited me back to their country. I know how these texts can be used to wound and hurt people. So I want you to hear this. If you are divorced, Yes, God grieves that broken and fractured relationship. God grieves that marriage that ended because God always grieves when God's people are fractured and wounded, but God loves you. If you're going through a divorce, yes, God grieves that that marriage is ending and being torn apart, but God loves you. If you're a child of divorced parents, yes, God grieves that your parents are no longer together, but God loves you, period. God loves you. And so what does this have to do with, with our life together? Well, I think it actually has a lot to do with it. Because if it's true in our intimate personal relationships, it's true of our corporate relationships, right? We know that the same, the same forces that seek to pull people apart 
in personal relationships are often some of the similar forces that seek to pull us apart communally. And we live in a world where it is easy to find reasons in the body of Christ to not get along, to essentially divorce ourselves from one another. Maybe we'll sit next to one another, but are we really united in the bond of love and shared purpose and shared mission? Here's the truth. Prince of Peace, we have people that have different ideologies and different ways of thinking about a myriad of issues. We have red pews and we have blue pews. We have people that like contemporary music and we have people that only ever want the organ. We have people who drink whole milk and can you believe we have people that drink skim milk? We have people who who, who, who think about the world fundamentally differently and the temptation is for us to divorce ourselves from one another. God's vision for our intimate relationships and our corporate relationships is that we would be united, that, that out of many we would form one, the body of Christ where Christ is the head and we are the parts of the body. Our mission and our vision and the impact we can make on the world is only strengthened when we come together, when we pool our resources, our hearts, our commitment to accomplish God's work in the world. What this congregation could do and accomplish in Loveland and beyond through a united effort is remarkable. The temptation for all of us is to focus on our faith life as individuals and miss out on the blessings of doing so corporately. My faith doesn't always feel strong. And in those moments when it's weak, I rely on your faith to carry me. And when you don't have a prayer in your heart, well, somebody in this congregation does. And they will pray on your behalf. And so Jesus there points the disciples back to one flesh as he welcomes little children onto his lap. In essence, he points them back to the vision of humanity, which is where all people would be united in love. I thank God that we are part of the one body of Christ at Prince of Peace. I thank God for each and every one of you. So cling to your faith in the crucified and risen Lord. God loves each of you, and I do too. Amen.